Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast today. Today we're going to pick up a little bit more with literary theory. We're going to cover the structuralists and the post-structuralists. I'm going to try not to go too much into depth on these two, uh, mainly because the two that we talked about last time and the two that we talked about this time um, really are mainly for people who want to write. They deal more with uh, elements about literature itself and if you are a writer, they I, I highly recommend looking into all of these groups more, uh, reading some of their essays. But as a lot of you are more interested in reading or in using these to analyze, I'm just kind of giving these first four as a little bit of a background so that the other ones make sense. Uh, I want to pick up today with uh, the structuralists. And with the structuralists, you really start with... Uh, semiotics. Uh, semiotics is the study of signs. Um, these signs can be words as in a language or uh, Morse code or uh, sign language or any other system that is made to convey meaning, whether it's verbal or otherwise. Um, it could be pictures, it could be anything that deals with signs. Semiotics tries to figure out how these signs work and um, how people use them. So semiotics, uh, especially through Saussure, splits it into two areas. Uh, there's what he calls long, or language, which is basically the entire system of signs that you're using. And this is something that people kind of inherit. You come into a world that is already using these systems. So these are outside of the individual uh, user, but they are something that the individual user will be using to communicate. Now the other part of this is parole. Now parole is the, um, <clears throat> is the actual speech uh, by the individual. So, for example, right now, with me speaking, this is an example of parole. This is an individual uh, usage of the signs. This is something that extends in time, whereas language is something that is kind of almost outside of time. as the way they see it. And the way they view uh, language is that it, the signs kind of cluster together. So, for example, if you were to use the word boat, well, there are a lot of other words that cluster around the word boat, words that mean the same thing like, or mean similar things like ship, uh, vessel, uh, canoe, uh, steamliner. I mean, there, there are sailboat. Um, these are all connected to that. So these, the language has these clusters of signs that go together. Now it also will cluster because in this case because it's a type of vehicle so you would have similar things that would be clustered but not as closely such as car, bus, train, uh, airplane, things like that. These are also clustering together. And through these interplays of signs is how we communicate. Now the structuralists tried to take this and apply it to literature and to apply it to the analysis of literature, to try to get a system of how these things uh, fit together to create literary language. And they sort of viewed literature as a collection of signs that are 
connected to each other. So with the structuralists, what you have is another attempt um, at what the new critics and the Russian formalists were doing. They're trying to be more scientific with their analysis of literature. Um, part of this being more scientific means that literature can start to be put on a much more firm foundation and people can look at things and some of the uh, structuralists were actually looking for trying to be able to figure out the best readings um, of, a, of a piece of literature. Their, um, their idea is that some readings uh, would work together better uh, because of the signs working together, and some of them would be not as good of a reading because they didn't take into everything into account. Now, some of the structuralists start to realize there's a problem with uh, using language, and the problem is language doesn't exactly uh, connect to the real world. For example, we have the word tree, um, and the tree, the word tree, is supposed to stand for actual things in nature. But you start to see a problem in this if I were to ask all of you to take out a pencil and draw me a tree. Because all of you would draw a tree that was very different. Some of you would draw pine tree, oak tree, willow tree. Uh, and even if I became more specific and said, everyone draw me an oak tree, none of your drawings would resemble each other. You would have large ones, small ones, lots of branches, no branches, lots of leaves, no leaves, different configurations of the branches. So we start to see that the word tree never actually gets you to an actual tree that is universal, which is something you would want if there was a sign. We also have a problem with language in that language is very emotionally loaded often. If I tell you to close your eyes and think about a tree, um, for some of you, you might think about uh, the breeze blowing through the leaves, the shade, and be, you know, calm and relaxing and peaceful. Uh, some of you may live in places where there are no trees, deserts or prairies, and so you don't really have much association at all with trees. They're just kind of a more neutral uh, object to you. A few of you may have had experiences where a tree fell on you, or fell on your house, or fell on your car. And in your perspective, then, trees could be seen as something terrifying. So we're multiplying our problems here, and we haven't gone beyond one word. We're still using just the word tree. So if we can't all picture the same tree, and we can't all have the same emotional connection to that word then how are we going to definitively interpret any piece of literature, which is made up of lots of words? Um, this is why a lot of the structuralists eventually, uh, in, and not too far down the road within a matter of a few years, um, start to become what are known as the post-structuralists. The post-structuralists talk about the fact that there might be as many readings for a piece of literature as there are readers because each person is bringing their own interpretation. You never get from the word tree to the actual tree itself. All you get is an endless stream of other words. So words can only take us to other words. They can't actually take us to the 
real object. So we're kind of left with um, this inability to definitively say what any one piece means. Now for some people this might be a bit on the frustrating side because, you know, we, we generally tend to like to look at something and say, okay, this is what this is, I can move on now. But the part where this can actually be liberating is that it doesn't commit you to seeing things the way everyone else does. It opens up the door for different interpretations, different ways of viewing things, and a much deeper level of analysis. So instead of we all read this poem and we all have to agree that this one poem means this one thing, um, we can make it more personal. We can, we can relate to it in our own lives and to our own experience. So this actually opens the door uh, in the post-structuralist to lots of other types of interpretation that start to explode and become uh, predominant. This opens the door for Marxist criticisms, uh, for feminist criticisms, for cultural criticisms, psychological, um, queer theory. Um, there, there are just uh, post-colonial. There are almost an endless number of different types of criticisms that come about in the post-structuralist era and continue to be developed to today. Now what this does is it allows us to look at literature in a much wider perspective instead of just looking at it as uh, something that is very isolated from everyday life these other forms of criticism start to come in and say how do these things explain the world we live in? How do they not explain the world we live in? Are they an explanation of something we wish that was but isn't. So literature, as you move into these other forms of criticism, becomes much more sociological, psychological, and philosophical, because you can start to have lots of discussions and debates, and you can start to tie these things more to your everyday life. And in the essays, that are in the blog podcasts that are coming up, we will be going into some of these other types of criticism. And as I go into them, I'm also going to start doing um, individual works of literature. So I will probably, as I do the works of literature in the episode before, kind of give you a heads up on something to go find and read. It'll generally be something short and something you can find through a Google search. Uh, and that way, when you come into the episode, you'll have already read it, and then when I go through and give the analysis from the different perspectives, it will make more sense what I'm talking about. Uh, as I've mentioned in earlier podcasts, I've never been uh, a fan of information that doesn't connect to real life. Any Anything that doesn't connect to real life and I can't get a grasp on, I, I have really no interest in it. And most people will look at philosophy and literature and think, well, what does that have to do with real life? And as we go through some of these podcasts, you're going to see that philosophy and literature are things that happen in the real world. They are people who are trying to look at the world the way it is, the way they wish it was, and trying to make different choices about the way things are. So I'm going to cut off from there. Uh, as I said, if you are a writer, I would highly recommend you doing more reading. 
on the Russian formalists, the new critics, the structuralists, and the post-structuralists. For those of you that are more readers and want this for interpretation, uh, the ones that we will be doing coming up will be of much more interest and much more use to you. I hope you are all well, and I will talk to you again soon.